Okay, so in today's teaching, I, I, I want to touch on one or two topics that's very relevant for us as believers uh, and and things we should know when we we, when we want to deepen our relationship with the Lord, things that we we need to to understand in our relationship with the Lord. So I'm going to start on this one topic and then next week I'm going to take it further and deeper. Um, but uh, you will see, as we go through this teaching, I'm going to say things maybe that you haven't thought of uh, in that way yet. You haven't thought of it in, in the sense that I'm going to explain it to you, but I want to give it more more meat. You had the milk maybe in some areas, but now I want to give you some meat in that same area so that you can get a deeper understanding of what things mean. All right, so, and I want to do this because I, I want us to find a balance in everything in, in according to Scripture. I want us to find a balance. And I think today, more than ever, it's it's getting more difficult to find a balance in, 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 in doctrines and teachings and stuff. As everybody's got their theology and their, their doctrine that they're standing by, um, their intellectual understanding of the word, uh, which is not a negative thing, but it's just there's so many out there and people struggle to understand which is which, which is, is correct, which may be not so correct, which is totally wrong. So... Um, I think in, in religion, in Christian religion, it's becoming a battlefield with what he said and she said and what this one wants and what that one wants. And, and people are, are fighting all over the place with one another. Um, now I'm talking about now leaders and, and people standing in ministry are fighting with one another, uh, each fighting their own doctrine that they believe is correct. So one group you will see in, in mainstream Christianity, one, one group will fight and say, listen, they're very biblically sound. They, they, they preach biblically sound doctrine out of the Word. And they will focus on the Word, the Word, the Word. And then you will find the, on the other side, you will find this group that says, yeah, we also teach on the Word, but we, 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 we show the Word. So we are there showing signs and wonders. We focus on signs and wonders because the signs and wonders, the power of the Holy Spirit must be shown. And there's power in, in doing that and you bring people into the kingdom by doing that. And so there's two total opposites here that's fighting with one another. All over the world you will see this in Christianity. They're actually literally fighting with one another about which one is correct. Right? The one says just the word is the focus and the other one says no, you must walk in power by the Holy Spirit. And there must be signs and wonders. So you can see there's two total different understandings and they clashing with one another and I see this I've seen this week how these people are clashing with one another and um, both saying that they correct and if you know what I've been saying for, for for you guys if we look at the Bible both of these things are important but they need to be balanced exactly balanced I've said it's like an eagle if an eagle wants to fly he uses two wings the one is the word and the one is the spirit. And that causes an eagle to fly perfectly. The same with the dove. The word and the spirit. Alright. If they only have the word, the dove or the eagle won't be able to fly. It will fall. Because you can't fly with just one wing. And that's why it's so important. If you look at the Bible, the, the word of God, you'll see both are equally important. You can't just preach the one and not the other. Now people that preach the word will say... Signs and wonders don't exist or it's not necessary. They will have those. And these guys will say the word is not that, that a bigger focus. We need more signs and wonders. So you see they're both 
are arguing this argument, and they're actually both wrong and both right. But the one don't want to accept the other's stand, if I can put it that way. Okay, so if you look at the moment, I don't know if you've seen the the movie, um, The Finger of God. There's a movie pointing out a lot of uh, signs and wonders being led by the Spirit, uh, mostly to do with walking out, preaching the gospel, praying for the sick. It's to do with that. Then you find the opposite video that came out that's been spoken about, and that's the American Gospel. All right? I don't know who's seen the movie, The American Gospel. Now, if you look at the American Gospel, the people in that movie are all more, how can I put it, um, reformed. All right? Not Pentecostal. They're more reformed. All right? So they focus on the Word, and they will find fault with the Science and Wonders people. And they, they've got places where they find fault where it's relevant, where the people are not publicly functioning correctly when it comes to money and all that stuff. But their main focus is only the Word and not the, the Science of Wonders and Baptism and anything to do with that. So there's beautiful things in this movie, the American Gospel. If you can watch it, watch it. But be aware there's stuff in there that's not biblically correct. And the same with the finger of God. There's stuff in there that can also be seen as different. But these two groups have made both movies and they, they, they're pointing at one another the whole time. That's all they're doing the whole time. They're pointing at one another saying this one is saying this and this. This one is saying, is saying that. And both things are correct. But we need to have this balance when we, when we look at this. Um, I think personally they should rather pray for one another so that the one can see what's correct in that one and this one can see what's correct in that one. They should rather pray for one another than pointing fingers and fighting the whole time uh, with one another. I think if they stop pointing fingers at one another and rather point that finger to the Lord, things will go way better. You must stop pointing fingers and, and, and rather point that finger to the Lord, putting the focus on Him. Where there's error, we bring forth error. You know, you guys know that when I teach, I will tell you when something's wrong with somebody. Not to point them out, but to educate you in understanding why you should not fall for that thing. I don't mind if people preach the wrong things. I can't change it. But I can change you that's listening to understand that thing and see why it's wrong or why it's correct. Alright, so most believers today, if I ask them if they listen to a teaching on TV, YouTube, or in a church, and I ask them, was it a Reformed teaching out of a Reformed background or out of a Pentecostal background, the teaching they heard? They don't know what I'm talking about. They would just say, I heard it's awesome teaching um, on TV or YouTube and it was so beautiful. And then I ask them, out of what doctrine are they teaching? Because those two doctrines are totally different. They believe in totally different things. Everything is different they believe in. And I ask them, listen, out of what? They don't know. And that's actually scary if we don't know because we should be in that place where we can understand when somebody speaks out of a reform. Not that the one is wrong and the one is right. It's just that you can see out of what place are this person teaching. Is his background reformed or is his background uh, more Pentecostal uh, in the spiritual side? Um, so I'll ask you the question. Think about it. If you listen to a teaching on TV or YouTube, um, do you, can you see the difference from where it's coming from? If they just talk? Can you see if it's reformed or or whatever the case may be? Right, just something to think about because that's where we, we sometimes step in error because we don't understand from where these people are teaching and we believe stuff that's actually direct against what you actually thought you believed. 
because you've got no clue where that person is coming from which teaching you this stuff so just something to think about and at the moment there's huge fights going on 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 the internet um with with teachers clashing with one another the one group is saying at the moment there's no demons in christians and the other group are saying there's demons in christians and at the moment they're fighting with one another like really going at one another on the internet on youtube um with these two doctrines um you know my stance on it i know christians have got demons in them they should not have but they do have but uh, there's the, the, these two groups are fighting again with one another with this and then there's the fighting um, we all saw what happened with todd white now that he said he, he, he was repenting of of not preaching the full gospel um so there's a fighting going on there between todd white and the the reform side uh so there's a lot of clashing going on and fighting and it takes the focus of Jesus. So that's why it's important when I teach today that you understand what I'm saying. So that you don't get caught up in these these fights or these these doctrines that people don't understand. And because you should actually understand this. Alright, so let's, with all of that said, that's a background of what I'm going to talk about. And it's very relevant because I see people have got no clue what's going on. Let's start with Matthew 3. I want to teach out of Matthew 3 today and next week. And we're only going to touch on like three or four verse, three verses today of, of Matthew 3. Um, there's so much in this. But I, I want you to, because if you understand this, it will help you to get a better understanding of why you should know what's correct and where you stand as a, as a believer. Alright, so let's start with Matthew 3 verse 1. It says there, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so I'm going to break this down as I read it for you. So we all know the story of John the Baptist. We've all have read this. But now I want to show you a bit deeper into this. I'm going to take you deep in a journey, deep into the scriptures, so that you can see what's, what's in there that you might not have realized before this because there's so much meat in John and uh, Matthew 3 all right so he says repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand all right interesting here John is bringing in the new covenant we all know he was the guy that brought in the new covenant proclaiming the Messiah's coming he's on his way he had to fulfill that role that he was called for that role we know John was um, about six months older than jesus he was family but here he's preaching in the wilderness um, and he's preaching this new covenant that hasn't existed yet nobody spoke about this before yet and he's saying the messiah is here and everybody's still waiting for the messiah all the the jews are still waiting for the messiah he's stepping out and saying in the desert no you've got to get ready he's here he, he's, he's at hand all right so he's starting this new covenant and, and he's proclaiming this new dimension that's going to open to the people of that day and he's saying repent the kingdom of god is at hand um uh, and remember he's saying this kingdom is at hand and you need to repent okay mark he said to repent and he's not saying from what you must repent yet there okay he's not saying from sin or anything else he's just saying you've got to repent because the kingdom is of heaven is coming all right so we all know when we get somebody saved and um, when they become born again and they come to you we we 
we get them to repent. They repent of their sins or there's something that they want to repent of. And remember, we've spoken about this so many times before. Repentance is not naming your sin. You can. There's nothing wrong with naming your sin. But repentance is, is basically... How can I put this? You understand? It's changing from whatever there was. Now they're going to not do that anymore. There was sin. They're not going to turn away from the sin and they're going to move away from that. That's how we, we, we show people um, that, that, that wants to come into the kingdom, want to step into the kingdom. That's what we show them and say to them, listen, you want to turn, repent, say sorry for your sins. You don't have to name each sin um, by name. If you want to, that's fine. No problem. You don't have to to mention all the generational curses and all that stuff. It's not biblical. It's nowhere in the Bible you will find that. But if it helps you, you can do that. There's nothing wrong with it. But repentance is turning around, stopping from that thing, cutting that thing off, stopping that thing and saying, I'm following Jesus Christ now with my whole heart. That's what repentance means, okay? If we look at milk, the way we teach somebody that just gets born again that needs to drink milk, that's what we say to them, okay? You got that? So a newborn baby, a newborn Christian, you give them milk. That is to say, you repent from sin, you turn away. That's what we've done in kickstarts and everything, okay? We all know that. Matthew 3, 3. For this is that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of the crying in the wilderness, prepare that ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So here in verse 3 tells us, of Isaiah spoke and prophesied that John would come and he would show the way that is that for them to, to take. Okay, we're going to go in detail now. There, and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle uh, about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all of the region round about Jordan and were baptized. Of him in Jordan confessing their sins. Okay, so there they were baptizing with their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Okay, I, I don't know if you can remember, I once said, it's funny, um, John the Baptist never accused the sinners of being children of, of Satan, of the snake. He never said to any sinner, you are a son of the snake, or you are family of the snake. He only said that to the Pharisees and Sadducees, that you are family of the snake. Okay, it's funny that he's, he's, he's pointing, John is pointing to the religious people of that day and saying to them, you are family of the snake. You are supporting the snake, you Pharisees and Sadducees. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, we all know is an image and a type of the religion of today. So I wonder what would be said today if we look at religion, the mainstream religion today. Not everybody, but the mainstream religion. If John the Baptist was to walk on the earth today and you had to gather with all the church denominations, which would be the Pharisees and Sadducees, would he also say you are the a generation of, of vipers, your father is, uh, is the snake. Okay, so think about that for a second. He's pointing out to them, not to the sinners. John has got no problem with the sinners. He's baptizing and cleansing them. But to these guys that knows the Bible back then that they had, he's saying to them, your father is, is the snake. 
So, we know that this Pharisee said it is a type of religious, and it was a religion of that day. Verse 8, Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able to, uh, of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Alright? Whose fan is and his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Alright. Now, let's get started with this. Like I said, there's so much stuff in this thing. But let's just touch on some of them. So, we have seen that we use the word repentance in a way, like I said, when we get people to get baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, that we say, listen, you've got to repent. And, and there's repentance that, that goes hand in hand with that. Um, but now, let's look at this, what, what he's saying here. Let's look at the, the truth in, in, in this deeper essence of this word. Um, and I want to look at this word repentance. You were here, it was mentioned a couple of times in this. But I want to look at it more detail, more, more with a more and a better understanding for you and me to, to, to know what we stand in when we repent it. We've said we've, we've turned away from our sin or whatever, but what's, what does it actually mean? There's got to be more to that. So, uh, we know that the word repentance in Greek means metanoia. Most of you might have heard this before, they would say that. But I can remember when I was still in my Bible school, um, he went into detail to look at the word repentance. Uh, he went into the Greek, into the Hebrew, into the Latin, just to see all the, the, the meanings that was there around the word, this word repentance. And one of the things that he found that is so beautiful, and you can go look at this on your own, uh, if you want to go and do a deep study of this, um, but this, this this Latin root word, but that comes from the Greek for the word repentance, says actually something out. It means something more. And what he what he found was that it meant the word repentance was way, was way more meant made way more than than the normal that we thought it meant. And it actually means that you must change your mind. The word repentance. Change your mind. Not just turn around from your sin. Like a 360 turn. is to change your mind. Alright. And we're going to go deeper now. So I'm going to give you the full explanation. What this changing of your mind means. It's not just a renewal of your mind. It says. It means to have your mind exchanged. With the mind of someone else. Those that are writing it down. Write this down. Repentance is. It means to have your mind changed or exchanged with the mind of someone else all right repentance so i'm going to give you an ex example um, if you should have an opinion over something if one of you should have an opinion over something you can change your mind whenever you want to on that topic okay you can change whenever you want to you can change it um Let's think about it this way. 
I'm going to give you a practical example so that you can understand what I'm saying. Let's, you know what I like, I like technology. So I'm going to use myself as an example. Um, let's say, I say to you guys, let's take one of you, Victor, you in the middle, so you in the middle, you're my screen. Uh, I, I go to Victor and I say to him, listen, an iPhone is better than an Android phone. All right. Victor might have a different opinion. All right. His mind might have changed more than once what he thought which one is the best. Okay. So, um, now I need to, to convince Victor whatever I think is maybe the best phone out there. All right. That I believe iPhone's the best and Victor hasn't got a specific opinion yet. He's still flip-flopping around which one is the best. All right. So I'm saying this because remember, I want to explain to you how we, our mind needs to exchange with someone else's mind. And in, in mainstream religion today, we see this same thing. What I spoke about earlier when we started this, people are flip-flopping around with what they believe. They don't have an understanding of what they believe. They will listen to any teacher and say this is good, even though it's totally doctrinally against what they believe, because they don't, can't discern what they're saying, actually. They don't know where this guy is talking about. So in religion, we get the same thing where people would just say, this is good today and tomorrow that's good. And then I'll change their mind again and say that this is good again. All right. So, so if you think about it, think of yourself. How many times have you listening, whether you guys listening or the ones listening later, how many times have you changed your mind on what you believed? Think about it. Because most of the times we change our mind because we learn something new or we were wrong, maybe, in what we believe. Or we hear something that then we start getting a better understanding. So it's not something negative. Please, I'm not trying to make this a negative thing. I want you to see how we must, I had to do that also, how we must change to get to that place. So my example, the iPhone, all right. Should I take Victor now that I use this example, this guy that I'm telling that the iPhone's the best and he's still saying Android's the best, okay? If I take Victor and I place Steve Jobs now, Steve Jobs, for those that don't know, he's the creator of the iPhone. Okay? If I play Steve Jobs next to Victor. Now, remember Steve Jobs, he created the iPhone. He, he had a passion for the iPhone. He, his whole being was to create this iPhone. He dreamed about it. He imagined it was his whole heart was the iPhone. So, I'm placing him next to Victor. So... Think about it. Now, when, when, when Steve Jobs is next to Victor, I go and I take Steve Jobs' brain out and I put Steve Jobs' brain into Victor. Okay? Remember what we're going for here. Immediately, Victor's stands on the iPhone of Android will change. He would not want an Android anymore. He would want an iPhone. Why? Think about it. Victor has a new brain, he has a new mind, he has exchanged his mind with the mind of Steve Jobs. We've placed Steve Jobs' brain into Victor. Okay, the guy that created the iPhone, that had a passion for the iPhone, is now in Victor's brain. What thoughts will Victor have now? Do you realize Victor will will love the iPhone now, he would not want anything else, he will see the error in the Android, 
because what happened, like I said previously, his mind was exchanged with the mind of Steve Jobs, someone else. Now he will not flip-flop anymore from teachings or thinkings or from phones, like I used this example. I really hope you guys understand what I'm saying here. So Victor, because he's got this mind of Steve Jobs, will have a solid, sound opinion about a phone. He wants the iPhone because A, B, C, D, and he doesn't want anything else. All right? I'm using something simple, but that you can relate to to understand what the meaning is. Otherwise, if you don't get this, you're going to struggle with this. All right? So, in religion... We only apply one dimension to the word of repent um, and because we only have this one seeing of repentance there's sometimes problems and people misunderstand and, and people frequently change their opinion about things because they don't understand it. If you understand something you're not going to change your mind if it's correctly understood. You're going to stand by that thing. Okay. So Now, again, if we look at what I've just said about Victor, his opinion is not from hearing someone else now. Victor is not hearing someone else anymore saying to him, the iPhone's the best. He's not listening to me anymore saying, the iPhone's the best. Why? He's not being influenced by anybody anymore. It's because he's got the new mind of Steve Jobs. He's got the new mind that's working from inside of him to his heart. And he's got a new mind of, and a way of thinking, all right? Victor will never ever uh, buy or even think about buying an Android phone like, like any Android phone, Samsung, LG, Huawei. Uh, he will not do that, alright? His whole being is saturated with iPhone. Eh? He knows the bolt quality, the operational system, and the silicone inside the phone. He knows everything about that phone to the T, and he loves that phone for what it can provide for him and, and do for him. The Bible says, as a, as a person thinks, so he becomes, okay? So, please, you should by this stage know what I'm, where I'm going with this, where your mind should be replaced, with whom your mind should be replaced, so that you can stop having these opinions that keeps, keeps on changing because of you not understanding stuff. Today you want to do things this way, tomorrow you want to do things that way religiously, alright? Now, John goes on here, and saying uh, why uh, we should, why we need this new mind. So you understand that you need it to get this new mind. Repentance means to replace your mind with someone else. Your mind and my mind must be replaced with someone else, and that someone else is Jesus Christ. All right. Then you will not flip flop around and change your opinion. So, but John goes and say, and he really puts emphasis on this that we need this new mind for a reason. So why do you think do, do our thoughts, our minds, need, why does it need to be replaced with, with, with something else? Because he says that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Alright? Again, now, that's it writing down that hasn't written this down before. The word kingdom does not mean heaven. Okay, please remember this when you read your Bibles. The word kingdom is not talking about heaven. You can look at the meanings of it. It's not talking about heaven. That will save you a lot of stuff that you would not understand, that you might have misinterpreted it. All right. Kingdom means something totally different. All right. Now, remember, it says the kingdom of heaven. All right. It's not saying heaven. All right. So if we look at the word kingdom, we've said before kingdom, it means 
rulership, supremacy, government, reign. That's what a kingdom stands for. Any kingdom, even, even a worldly kingdom. That's what it stands for. That's what it, is what it does. So it's, it's, it's in God's, it's God's management. Basically, his kingdom is his management. The way he manages things is, in, is his kingdom. If you look at a king in, a, in the flesh, a king that ruled over, so let's say, England, we could see his influence in the kingdom of England and how he rules. All right, and what he, the choices he makes and how he looks after these people, you can see his rulership and his, his reign as a king. So it speaks of God's direct influence in our lives when we, when we look at that, the kingdom. All right? So we live under his control, his rulership, his guidance, and his management. That's what this kingdom really means or what it's a point to. Now the word heaven, remember, he says um, kingdom of heaven. The word heaven, he points from where this kingdom functions. Not heaven as a place. It says from where this kingdom functions. This kingdom of heaven. It says this government rulership. From where does it function? From Functions from this heavenly realm. That's where it functions from. Okay. The spiritual dimension. That's where this kingdom is functioning from. So when it says the kingdom is. The kingdom of heaven is. And it's saying this government. This rulership is a heavenly spiritual rulership that's coming okay i hope you you get that it's important so that should change the whole scripture already for you that you're reading there so i mean we the bible says god is spirit and he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth all right so we must see this spiritually to understand this what is he saying here now um if we look at john 4 it says in 20 verse 24 john 4 24 god is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth and that's not worship as singing okay that's not what that worship means that's a lifestyle that worship means how you live daily all right it's not when you sing in church it's also a misperception uh, we might have with that meaning of the word so the kingdom of heaven is pointing to the spiritual nature of this kingdom all right it's a spiritual place where it comes from this kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is not a different thing. You get the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's not a different thing. It only tells you who's in charge of the kingdom. When it says the kingdom of God, it says God is in charge of this kingdom. The rulership, his reign, it's God's. And it's, if it says kingdom of heaven, it's because it's from the spiritual place. It's pointing to where it's coming from, this rulership. This is where God stays, um, where he's from there, okay? So that you understand why those wordings are used in your Bible. It will clear up so many things for you. So it tells you, kingdom of, heaven, uh, kingdom of God tells you who's in charge of that kingdom, okay? God is the ruler of, of this kingdom. So again, why is John saying repent because the kingdom is at hand? Uh, the end of the next verse says he's preparing the way for someone. If we read what, what I've just read, he's preparing the way for someone. All right, if we go back, uh, let me go back there for you, if you forgot about it. Uh, uh, let's see where you're saying in, in verse 3, um, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Okay, he's saying prepare the way, make his path straight. So he's saying preparing the way. So can you see that the kingdom of God that we have just explained to you, this kingdom of heaven, uh, became visible or will become visible in a person. 
because it's for him that the way has got to be prepared. This kingdom of heaven is it's, it's to make a person visible. It's making someone visible. And now who is this one John's proclaiming here? It's Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming Jesus Christ the way that, 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 that needs to become visible. That's why when you go further in chapter 4, if you read further in chapter 4, yeah, Jesus teaching and what is he teaching? You will find the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, this rulership, this government, he's proclaiming that the whole time if you read further. So um, you will see this throughout your Bible. Everywhere you read, the first, um, uh, you will see the same way of doing things throughout your whole Bible where they would preach this kingdom, this rulership. How does it work, this rulership? Uh, uh, how does it work? Everywhere in your Bible. I mean, if you look at it, he first sends out the 12 and then he sends out the seven, 70 people. We all read that in the Bible. And then he says to them, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then when he, says, he goes and says, go to the 12, to the 70 or 72, depending on your Bible. He will say, go proclaim the kingdom of God. And when you do that, then also do this, this, and this, and this. Okay, it's important to understand what I'm saying now. You say, go proclaim this kingdom of God, and then also you can do these things. You know, signs and wonders. Heal the sick, cast out demons. You can also do those things. But you've got to go proclaim the kingdom of God first. Alright, That's that should be your, your mission that you go out to. And you automatically will do all these other things. We today want to go and do signs and wonders, but we don't want to proclaim the kingdom. Okay, so it's the other way around. So the focus is the kingdom and not the other stuff. The focus must be the kingdom and the king. That's the focus. The rulership, the control, the guidance, the reign, the management of God, his government. That must be your focus when you're outside talking to people. All right. Not the things that we must do. You will automatically do those things, but it's not about them. Um, so, so why is John saying this is so important? If, if you think about it, if you look at the Bible from Genesis, God wants to be in control of people's life. If you look at the book of Genesis where everything started. When he created Adam and Eve in the garden, he, his primary goal was intimacy. We've spoken about this before in other teachings. He wanted intimacy with man. He wanted to be with man. Um, man's choice to live in a he wanted man to have this choice to live in a loving relationship with him um, out of that they what they want they want this they want this relationship with the Lord they must want this that's what he's seeking in the in the garden all right so if you look at the garden in Genesis that's why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was planted in the middle of the garden all right it was placed smack in the middle of the garden so that man can choose if he wants to live through the word of God in a relationship, in the word of the world or whatever of God uh, in that kingdom. Or if he wants to follow his own way, his, his thoughts, his way. So that tree is placed right in the middle. I don't know if you ever thought about it. It's placed in the middle of the garden. And man can, as, as, as God daily when they look at that tree, they've got this choice. Out of which kingdom do they want to rule? This kingdom of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the, or the tree of life? They had this constant choice, Adam and Eve, which they were confronted with was in their face that they had to choose daily as, as this tree was there. 
So, from Genesis, you can see that God wanted to establish, it was His desire to establish His kingdom on this earth. He says that all over in your Bible, especially in the New Testament again. God says in, the, in Genesis, He says, Go multiply and fill the earth. Alright, we all heard that. With what must you fill the earth? With man? Yes, but more, we must fill this earth with man, filled with God. Because the Bible says we are made in His image. Okay? So the more man we have that's in His image, the more God becomes visible on the earth. Alright? It's a bit deeper than just making man, making more people. He's saying more to it than that we normally think. Just multiply. Why does He want us to multiply? Because He's going to become more visible on the earth through you and me. Alright? When you have a child, your child should also be a representation, a witness of Jesus Christ. Another one that that stands out to, to represent him on this earth. So when sin entered and man chose to deny the tree of life and rather choose the, to live according to the tree of, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, man chose to forsake his rulership, his kingdom, his supremacy. All right? He gave himself over to the enemy. He didn't choose God's kingdom. He chose to be ruled and governed by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? God never, I want you to understand this, God never gave up His rulership, His supremacy over man. He never gave that up. Man gave it up. Alright, when they make that choice. We see in the Bible, Enoch. Yeah, I don't know if you know, there's a guy named Enoch in, 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 the, in the Old Testament, in the beginning of the Bible, that walked with God, Enoch. The uh, Bible says he was walking with God. So, how can he walk with God? Because he was under his ruling, he followed the Lord in every sense. Alright? Um, just to, on that topic of Enoch, I don't want to go there now, but a lot of people are focusing on the book of Enoch these days and teachings and to go through the veil and all that stuff. They, they're very busy with Enoch. Remember what I said. Enoch is not in the Bible. They all say it should be in the Bible because this one and that one took it out. I don't believe that. The Lord is in control of the word of the Bible. The books that are in there, he wanted in there. The ones that are not in there, he doesn't want them in there for whatever reason. So I'm not saying the book of Enoch is wrong. I'm just saying don't go make a, a study of the book of Enoch. It's very dangerous. Because I've listened to so many people that study the book of Enoch. It's dangerous. God didn't want it in the Bible. That's why it's not there. Don't come with that story about yes, but that one and that one took this out and that out. And that book was taken out. There's a lot of books that, that could have been in the Bible that's not there. But the Bible says God is in control of the word. He breathed everything that's in there that's for us for, for seeing deeper. The people that read the book of Enoch only look to the literal stuff in the book of Enoch. All the animals and the things that are happening there. And go look if they can find that there. They have got no spirit inside into, the, into some of the stuff there. So be careful. I'm just saying, throwing it out there. Be careful of the book of Enoch. It's not in your Bible. And it's not in your Bible for a reason for God. Alright? I've read a lot of stuff of the book of Enoch, but I know how to discern it then. Alright, so just be careful. I'm just throwing that out there so that you, if, you, if you hear about it, you know what's going on. So, okay, let's go on. How can, um, sorry, where was I? Let's look at Noah. Next example, Noah. When God told him to build an ark, we, we spoke about that, the ark last week or last time. That was God bringing forth His rulership, His management, His reign to Noah. He gave him the plan, the blueprint, and said, build this thing. 
So God's kingdom came to Noah um, and it manifested in him building this thing that comes from that spiritual kingdom, the, spiritual, the, 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 the kingdom of heaven. The plans came from that kingdom to Noah and Noah had to build this thing that comes from the spiritual realm, all right, the kingdom of heaven. And Noah built it. Uh, that thing that Noah built made no intellectual sense to man. You all know the story. I think the people made fun of Noah for years and years and years as he was building that thing because it made no intellectual sense because it came from the spiritual side and not the natural side. All right. So, I mean, if you look at the days of Noah, they have never had a flood. If you read your Bible, they've never had flood and rain. And this guy's building something to, to protect them against that. So it didn't make sense for the people, right? I don't know if you've noticed that in your Bible. So Noah, because of being under the influence, the rulership of God, that word came to him from that spiritual realm from God. And Noah, made no, it made no sense for him in the natural, but he obeyed and he did it, all right? The same with Abraham. When Abraham got called, he packed his stuff and he moved to a place where God said, I will still show you. He didn't know where he was going, but he just diligently followed and walked. Now, if you read the history of, of Abraham in his time, according to the history, his father was an idol worshiper, uh, Abraham's dad. So for, for, for them, this must have been a weird thing, saying he heard this spirit which you have no idol for, this God, there's no idol that his dad made for that. This thing is saying to his son to move and go there. They thought he was crazy. It made no sense for them. All right? So, why, did I, why was Abraham willing to leave all these idols that his dad made and follow this voice? Because he came under the rulership and the, the governance of, of God, his kingdom. He stepped into that. All right? Moses. Moses walks um, and he finds himself standing in front of a burning bush, which makes no sense in the natural um, this bush is burning, but it's not burning. He's standing there. The next moment you read, Moses walks to walks down to Egypt, and the people must have asked Moses, "Listen, uh, what are you going to do?" He says, "I'm going to free my people now." He spoke to the bush, and he's on his way to go free his people. And they ask him, um, "How are you going to do this? How are you, Moses, going to free the Israelites?" And what does Moses say? With my staff, with my rod. Does that make sense? No, not at all. He's saying, do this thing. I'm going to free my people with this. It made no sense. All right. There's no logical intellectual understanding to how can this piece of wood save the, 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 the thousands upon thousands of Israelites from this massive army of the Egyptians. And we all know the story. Same with Joshua. Joshua met with God on the other side of the Jordan and, and things happened there. We know the, the first story where, um, where we see this kingdom of God coming to, to Joshua, where he tells him how to, to attack, invade the first city. All right, we all heard the story. Um, it, it made no sense. They never had to draw their swords or anything in the beginning. The walls fell down because of music playing, trumpets blown. Through the natural mind, it made no sense. There's no natural understanding that can explain this to you, but the spiritual dimension will do things in a way that we can't understand if we're not in the spirit, if we don't understand it, right? If we're in the flesh, these things will not make sense. And people that's in the flesh will not understand when you do spiritual stuff. Look at the Israelites in the desert. In the day they could, when, they, when the cloud stood still, 
they were standing still. In the evening when the cloud moved, they moved. Alright? And it's whose rulership were they? Who was guiding them? Whose guidance were they in? in um, if you think about it, in the morning, if they were sitting in their tents, the Israelites, and here the cloud starts moving, they had a choice, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they had a choice that morning to stay in their tents and stay there or to pack up and follow the cloud. They had to make that choice every day for 40 years. They were given a choice. Are we going to stay and most probably die? Or are we going to pack and follow this ruler, this guidance that, that's, that's going forth in front of us? Um, so we even see, if I can use another one with Joshua, the second city that he, that he went to attack, he made, a, he made a huge mistake. The second city Joshua attacked, um, he felt sorry for the people. He didn't listen to what God said. He felt sorry for the people. Why? Because he was using his natural mind. See, even when you feel sorry for the people, it's not always correct to do things. He felt sorry for the people that looked so poor and bad and told him all these stories. And he felt sorry. He didn't act according to what God said. He acted according to what his mind was saying. He felt sorry for them. Sounds so very biblical good. Eh? And look what happened. Huge problem. He had massive problems. At the end of the day, he had, we've spoken about this before. Go read it. He had huge problems. Why? Because God was not in that decision making. It was him in the flesh making that decision. God's one didn't make sense. He made a decision that made sense. He felt sorry for the people. And he had huge problems. Alright? So don't act on your, on your feelings. Act on what the Spirit are telling you. Today we act so much on the feelings, especially women that are made that way. Act so much on feelings instead of what the Word of God is saying and the Spirit of God is saying even more. Alright, so please remember that. When God is in charge, he, um, when He makes the decision as God, it will be successful and there will be a guarantee for you at the end of the day. Alright, so we can go on throughout the whole Bible. David, everybody, Elijah, there's a lot of examples I can give you where people come under the rulership, this 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 reign of God and doing things that is making no sense at all because it comes from the kingdom of heaven, that spiritual realm, and it doesn't make any sense in the flesh. All right. So, I said here we will find God's kingdom in specific people or in specific things like the tabernacle of Moses. You will find God's kingdom, the temple. The hut of David, the Ark of the Covenant, all right? Where God is applying His rulership in all these areas, all right? So now, let's get back to John the Baptist. What's our time? Nearly there. Let's get back to John the Baptist. Here at this story, we must remember the following. It's important to know for 400 years, from the book of Malachi in your Bible, to here where we're reading out of Matthew 3, that from Malachi to Matthew 3, 400 years, God did not speak to man. It says that in your Bible. None whatsoever. He did not speak to man. So, there were no prophecies made. People had no dreams, no visions. So, what, what now? 400 years, God is, is gone. All right? 
Now I want to say something that's, that's very relevant. For 400 years, God is gone. People were struggling spiritually because God was not speaking to man anymore. But somebody was flourishing and making money and was living a good life and things were going very well for them. Can you think who that is? Saying this again, for 400 years God did not speak to man. The people were spiritually dead, dying because there was nothing. But somebody was flourishing in the midst of this for that 400 years, up to Matthew. Religion. Religion were growing and flourishing. When Jesus came to the scene, they were the main thing working. Religion. Not God speaking to them. Them interpreting their scriptures and thinking they know it all. They know the Bible. And the one rabbi, rabbi thinks he knows more than the other rabbi. And this one is speaking more than that one rabbi. This one's got more followers than that one. Does it sound familiar? The religious system was flourishing and Jesus came and he, he, he attacked head on the religious system. Because they came up and took over what God was busy with in his quiet time, that 400 years. And they stepped up and tried to fix things by their interpretation of the word. Their opinion, like we said in the beginning, changing the opinion, okay? That is why John the Baptist said, Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's because the people were caught up in religion. The family, the sons of the snake were teaching the people. And he's saying, Repent, turn away from that stuff, get your minds replaced by someone else's mind, which is Christ that's there, because his kingdom is. Of heaven is going to reign now here and you need to step into that kingdom's way of functioning not your thought pattern way of functioning right so matthew 3 3 for the for this is he that have spoken of by the prophet isaiah saying the voice of one crying the one is prepare ye the way of the lord make his path straight all right that comes out of the book of isaiah 40 that they saying there in matthew it says in Matthew, uh, in Isaiah 40 verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says, the, says your God. Just for what it's worth. In Afrikaans it says, Truus. Truus, they say, Truus, Truus, my mensen. Now that's not to say Truus in the sense of sorry, feel sorry, or shame my people, shame my people. You know, it's not, that's not what that word means. That word comfort ye, Truus means to restore. Restore in Isaiah 40 saying, Restore, restore my people, says God. That's what that word means. Not like we think through us is shame, poor people. It's not what it's saying there. Alright, so if we look at verse 3 in Isaiah 40, the voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight the desert a highway for our God. You see, it was prophesied in Isaiah 40 what's happening and said here in Matthew 3 when they said this was prophesied by Messiah, alright? So, I want to ask you this question, everybody that's listening. Who of you can say that you've never had a desert experience? Or who can say they don't have a desert area in their life now? Somewhere where things are not going the way you want them to go. 
I'm going to give you some examples that we find in the ministry. We pray for people that sit. They don't get healed. We've all had that. Um, we counsel people with their marriages. They still get divorced. We pray for people that, that's lost in the world and they still stay lost. All right? They choose the world. Let's be honest. We, we're all struggling with stuff like that in our lives with family members and friends and stuff. Um, if we take what's being preached today in a lot of places, um, this, we, this name it and claim it prosperity gospel that, that's out there, um, we can see it's totally different than what's actually happening outside of the world. And it's not to point fingers. This is not to fall for the lies. Name it and claim it. If you just proclaim a thing and say it's going to happen now, that's your interpretation of the word. That's not from the spirit. And if we see that people are, are standing on these things, and if we look outside, it's not happening. It's not working. This this theologies we are we clinging to is not working at all. This doctrines. We need something radical to change before things will change. Our church systems, a new church on the next corner is not going to change that. A new fellowship, a new whatever. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but we need to know that's not going to bring change. You can have your church. You can have build and, uh, open another church, but that's not where the big change is going to come. That's just helping the people, those things. But we want, we crying out for a change that God can come intervene in and change, bring forth change in this thing. All right. That's what we're seeking. It's not that we, 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 we're saying the church is wrong. It's just not working. None of it's working. What I'm doing is not working. I can help individuals, but it's not bringing change in the world. Nobody is, is doing that. That's why we need something radical to happen for that, to, to come in and change everything that we have. We need something supernatural to, to happen. But the key here in this verse 3, the key is cry in the wilderness. That's where John the Baptist is calling out from, in the wilderness. All right? So, unfortunately, man has created a doctrine. Okay? Now, I want you to understand this. Man has created a doctrine in religion, in Christianity, that is called, Umiani always called it the cause and effect doctrine. Cause and effect. In Afrikaans, the oorzaak in gevolg theologie. Oorzaak in gevolg, cause and effect theology that we get today. And what that means is, if I do A, then you do B. Okay, cause and effect. In other words, if I do A, God, you must do B. And we teach this from the pulpits, and it's not biblical at all. And people are believing this type of method in their belief system and then they don't understand why things are not happening the way they're praying for stuff and it's not happening because we believe in this thing uh, we've all heard this we've all applied this in our in our lives so when you start preaching this this cause and effect doctrine who is in charge if you preach this think about it if you preach a cause and effect in when you preach it who's who's in control who's in charge me, myself, and I. Because it's my desires, my motives, my prayer. Alright? My needs, my motives, my behavior, uh, and it's in the forefront and not my desire for God. You see the difference? All my needs are getting thrown out there, but not my desire for God. 
you see it's the wrong way we our desire should be for for in the forefront and not our needs when god said to the 12 go preach the kingdom of god and then you do the rest the focus is not on that but we put the focus on us and then we just add the rest all right so we've made prayer in general a shopping list and we 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 as the people praying are hunting for the bargains i'm making it practical so you can understand i'm not trying to make it a funny thing i want you to understand we bargain hunting in our prayer like in a superstore that god is a big superstore this 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 the shop where we go and we're looking for bargains what's on special today so i can buy that all right that's what we made our prayer life out today that's how it looks today we go and say god do this for me god give this to my child lord help south africa all very relevant stuff nothing wrong with the questions but it's the way we're doing it all right then you get even more prayers that we've got these funny prayers that we, we have in churches and people are do putting on phones and stuff i'm not making this stuff from the people wrong it's what are we doing when we do this stuff do we think when we do this stuff what we're sending to people or what we're saying all right this you must understand what this cause and effect is in your life in your what you're doing um again i'm saying this again this cause and effect theology is not working that's why things are looking the way it's looking because believers are using this cause and effect theology where they ask god um, god i will tithe and then you must provide for me it's a cause and effect lord um if i pray enough will you look after my child it's all time this cause and effect that we we're throwing out there and it's not working it might work once and then the other nine times it didn't work so we need to understand why these things are not working um i said here do you know what the cause and effect the oorsaak and gevolgtologie do what does it do i said here we don't serve god for whom he is we serve him for what he can give I'm going to repeat that. This is what this theology caused in Christianity, and that's why we're struggling as believers. It is it caused us to that we we serve God for whom we don't serve Him for who He is. We serve Him for what we can get out of this. This is actually one of the revelations taught White God. All right. You see the problem? It's our gain. The focus. The focus on the is on us and not on him. All right, I want to finish off here. I've got four more minutes, and I know these prayers that I just given examples of can really truly be requests, genuine requests that we want to look after our children and and our desires and needs. We, we know it's there. I'm not bashing that. It's our method. What is our desire? Is it God or these things? Because he says if you focus on him, he will sort out these things in that relationship. But we don't do it that way. We only go to the shop and we look for these specials. Oh, this is on special today. Lord, help me with this thing. It's, it's a good price to buy this. I want this. See, it's my desires, my focus is there. And, and the, the problem is we don't realize um, what we as the church, we what we don't realize is in this desert that John the Baptist is speaking about here, where he's calling from this new thing. In this desert. What we as a church don't realize is 
He wants to reveal to us the way. Because he's making the path, clear the path. He wants to show us the way. Who is the way? Because it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. But we focus on how does the road look? Where can I take a U-turn? Where can I take a turn off to get a shortcut? And he's in the desert, in the difficult places, and he's showing you the way. That's why you go through the difficult places, the desert. Because there you can see the way. Because if you're in your normal life, doing your job, 9 to 5 job, and you're busy, and you do your normal thing, you know, 9 to 5 job, Sundays I go to church, and we just do this every week, over and over, and our focus and desires is on him, we're just doing this, going through the motions, we will not find the way. We will think we find the way, but we don't. Right? We will find maybe some way, but it's not the way. It's not Jesus Christ. So, until we, um, in the midst of our problems this desert, keep our focus on Him, knowing we serve Him with our whole being, doesn't matter if I sleep in a shack, if I have to walk to work because I don't have a car, I serve Him. That's what it means. Your circumstances doesn't mean who He is. Your desire is only Him. doesn't matter what your circumstances is. If it's going bad in your financial life, you still serve Him. If it's going bad in where you are in the moment, doesn't matter how long it takes, you serve Him. Not the thing. Because then it's me focused again. Alright? Can you see that we, most of us and in our lives, we've all done it, I've done it. We serve the Lord for the benefits that we can obtain from Him and not Him. I'm going to say that again. We serve the Lord for the benefits we can obtain from Him. But we don't serve Him as we should. And I know this is, I want to say this again, I'm not trying to be negative on this topic. The world has got these needs that it throws at us and we've got these big problems that we have. We all have them. So, but we need to, in the midst of all of this, 2,000 years ago, they had huge problems too. They were being killed and persecuted. But the focus must be on Him, alright? Um, but I want you to understand how theology, doctrines, crept into the church and slowly allowed this cause and effect to become the norm, the gospel, actually. Uh, and and what, what has happened is that We've allowed that the needs of the world and man, man's needs and the world needs, dictates how God must react. Claim it and frame it. Eh? That's what we, we sometimes do. We say this thing and we say, it's said in the world, I can ask how I'm asking. All right? And it doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. Because we, 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 we use the doctrine for our benefit. We, 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 we're changing it for our benefit. So that's how this theology of this cause and effect theology started out of a good place where people were desperate. It didn't start as a thing to, to bring people in error, but it, it, it happened and it, it brought in error because it was not done correctly. But now it's preached and accepted everywhere. In each teaching nearly today, if you listen on the TV, they will have cause and effect in that. So listen if you listen to teachings, if it's got cause and effect in it. All right. And I want to say this. Now you will hear... Um, when, the, when these people are teaching us, I want you to pick this up so you don't fall for the lie because your mind's got to be replaced, repented, like I said. You will hear when people say, um, you will say, um, I speak on my own success. I speak on my own benefits. I will proclaim this and bind this. 
the type of teachings people throw out there. Remember, you in a Bible school when you sit here, you learn. I'm not giving you a, a, a sermon. I'm giving you. I'm teaching you how to function. So when you hear these things that people are saying, proclaim this and and bind this and let I'm let me show you how I obtain my success out of from the pulpits. Uh, think about it. Uh, we're actually taking God and making him our co-worker. By saying all this stuff. Go think about it. He's our, um, I'm God's manager. I'm in control. And whenever I say A, he must do B. Because the Bible says so. And then it's totally the wrong understanding of the word. That's why we struggle and the, we as the church are falling apart. And we're doing all of this. This proclaiming, binding, saying the successful stuff we proclaim and all this. We're all doing this under the one banner. And that banner's name is prayer. We think it's prayer and it's not prayer. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not about your grocery list. Prayer is about seeking the Lord. Focusing on Him. That's what prayer is. Not your stuff that you want and need. Not even when you ask Him to look after your health and wealth and children. That's not prayer. I'm sorry. I know you were taught that. But that's not prayer. Can you pray that stuff? Yes, of course. But that's not what a prayer is about. We've made prayer all these things. Prayer, when you pray to the Lord, it means you seek Him in everything. You don't ask Him for the stuff, anything. You seek Him. And if you seek Him, He knows the desires of your heart. He will look after your children, your provision. He's into providing for you. Do you understand what I'm saying about how we sometimes pray wrongly? If you think about it, the way you pray, if you talk to them that, that way to your husband and wife, what will they do if you keep on asking them this stuff? But we do it with, with the Lord because we were taught these things and it's not that biblically sound. Okay, so we, when are we going to realize that in our desert, when we're in that desert place, where, wherever you are in your desert place, that we, we must experience Him, Jesus Christ. We must experience Him there. He wants to meet us there in that, in that desert place. For us serving God, it must be out of love and not what we want. It must be fully 100% out of love. Not 1%, um, 99% love or 1% the wants. It's 100% out of love. It has nothing to do with, with the benefits that I can obtain from the Lord. It's got nothing to do with your relationship. You cannot be a Christian because you want to get one thing from Him. Not one thing. If you ever, if you came to Christ because you thought things were going to go better, or He's going to be, I'm sorry, you got the wrong gospel. You serve Him because you want Him. Not any benefits, none whatsoever. If you get benefits, it's a bonus, but it's not guaranteed. That's what the gospel is about. It's about seeking Him. Okay, we as the true church of Jesus Christ must place our focus on Him, Him alone. Because if we focus on Him, He will provide for us. He will help us. Our focus must only be on Him out of that relationship. And out of that relationship, things will happen. Okay, so we've, we've spoken about three verses now. Just three verses in Matthew 3. 
I've showed you what repentance is, the, the deeper meaning of repentance, how your mind must be replaced, that you don't flip-flop around and change your opinion the whole time. Like I said, Victor's mind is going to replace with Steve Jobs. And now he doesn't think of anything else. When your mind gets replaced with Jesus Christ, when you repent and you follow him fully 100%, you will leave the world stuff behind. You will leave your grossly list in prayer behind because it's actually not even prayer, like I just said. And you will focus when you pray on glorifying Him, praising Him when you pray, loving Him when you pray. That's what it's about. Understanding that where John the Baptist was teaching out of, he was teaching directly against the religious system out of the desert, out of that broken, difficult place. He's, he's, he's standing up. And the Lord's showing that to you now, that we, when we're in that difficult place, He's there and He will... He's there to, to, so that He can be lifted up. Not you. It's not about you. It's about Him. He's the way that you need to point to. When you're in that difficult time, do you point the way to Jesus Christ or do you point the way to your problems with, with your fellow believers? Because John the Baptist pointed in the desert where it's difficult and hard, he pointed the way. He proclaimed, make straight the way. He didn't go and say, oh, this is hard. I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that and the Lord doesn't want to do this and the Lord doesn't want to do that. You see the difference? Why we need the desert period or what we should do when we're in the desert period. And that I've just spoken out of three verses. So next week we're going to continue with John to see where this all goes and where it all ends up. But I want you to understand and see the deeper meaning of what is happening here. How John came to this scene after 400 years with not hearing the God's wife and only religion functioning and, 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 and flourishing in that time. And here comes John looking totally different than religion and he's at a different place than religion he hasn't got all these bells and whistles but he's proclaiming the way jesus christ all right out of the desert so stop we must stop complaining about our desert experience and really focus and love him in that difficult difficult times where we go through i mean i've been through so many desert periods and i believe a lot of you have been through that and that we that we really seek the Lord in those desert places like John here did. Proclaim the wave. Because we haven't arrived anywhere yet. There's still a lot that needs to be done. Okay.